So this is class three, Open Yale Courses Intro to Psychology. And this session is on Freud. So looking forward to getting into it. Let's do it. And if you want to follow along, the course link is in the description of this video at the very top. So first things first, I didn't know Sigmund Freud was a cocaine addict. Not that that really knocks his contributions, I just found it interesting. So apparently Freud was up for a Nobel Prize in both literature and medicine, and he didn't get either one. But interestingly, he didn't get the one in medicine because they asked for opinions from other Nobel Prize winners and Albert Einstein wrote a letter basically saying, don't give him the Nobel Peace, <laughs> the Nobel Prize. Um, he's just a psychologist. Is Albert Einstein a hater? I don't even use that word, but <laughs> that's really interesting. So they say Freud was a tough cookie to deal with. A tough cookie. Well, I might as well say it the way they said it or the way they needed to say it. Freud was an asshole. <laughs> he said he was really dishonest, he was difficult, he was tough to deal with, you know, he was very ambitious, but um, could be very, you know, hardcore in his ideas. And um, yeah, he said he was a tough cookie. So Freud had some significant contributions, but he was also on some wild shit. <laughs> and so he was known for a couple of things. Um, on the not so good tip. So number one, he was seen as a Jew who was out to destroy uh, Christianity. And then on another tip, he was seen in a, a, a way of coming up with some weird sexual theories. So he came up with the theory of penis envy, which um, some of you all might have heard before, but I never heard this particular context of it. His belief was that women at some point had penises and that women were upset because they had been castrated at some point. And so they would love their fathers, but hate their mother. Like he was on some, yeah, he was on some real shit. <laughs> um, he was also known for uh, coming up with the idea that certain monuments and that kind of thing were uh, phallic symbols. And interestingly, you know, with that, that actually is something that I'm familiar with because I remember when I was in the 10th grade and when we were learning about uh, ancient Kemet. And at some point, we came across um, the notion that like the Washington Monument was really a phallic symbol um, and a few other symbols, um, even dealing with like Osiris and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, Freud was on some shit. <laughs> so there's a couple more serious um, intellectual philosophies that Freud came up with that we still even think about today. And one of the ones that was just mentioned really rings uh, true with me because I just put up a Facebook post a couple days ago. And that Facebook post said, you might not know the future, but your subconscious mind does. And what made me put that up was um, I've been studying psychology for a while in different ways and studying myself as well. And one thing I noticed recently were like some things I was doing subconsciously or I would say at times when I would do something subconsciously and then realize it like a couple seconds later after I already did the act. 
it was almost like it was like an impulse um, for sure and then a couple seconds later then I realized what I did but these were these were things that were related to some some really interesting um, gestures and when I think of them I will come back and tell you I can't remember but I just remember that it was it was something that I wouldn't normally uh, think to look at more closely but I started realizing oh and another thing that happened too was I was watching one of my favorite shows um, uh, and Tracy Harris who's the host of that show one time she came on and talked about an article that she was reading where it was talking about that like you know there are many times where contrary to our popular belief instead of something being conscious it's actually the subconscious acting and then the conscious catches up with it. So Freud's theory, uh, one of his theories that is very useful has to do with unconscious motivation. And so they were explaining that, you know, that's the idea that even when you think you know why you're doing certain things um, and you may be being very honest and not lying, but you might not actually realize there's some other subconscious thing that's making you do that. And so they use an example like if a, a woman was marrying a guy named John, they said, and they're like, if you ask the woman why, you know, the person might say, well, you know, I love John and I think that he's amazing, these kind of things. And he said a Freudian, though, would say to you, that might not be the case. Like you, you may be marrying John just because John reminds you subconsciously of your father. And so that that kind of thing, I would say, is it makes assumptions. It's not you can't always be clear and say that because there are times when it can be true that a person is consciously making a decision. But one other thing I will say is that I just had a discussion the other day about the topic of red wine, which I drink red wine and I didn't always like it until I was, say, about maybe five, let's see, 2020. Uh, maybe about seven years ago or so, my best friend and bass player drank uh, red wine. And when we were hang out, I wanted to really be able to appreciate it. So I started drinking it as well. And, you know, I had a bitter taste. It was, you know. But the interesting thing is that since then, I like to drink red wine when I'm out and on occasions when it's available. Now, I don't necessarily buy it. And I was telling this person I was talking to, like, it's interesting because I can't say I actually really like the taste necessarily. Like, it's not like other drinks, like, say, cranberry juice. Like, I might just really want to taste that and I might enjoy it. With the red wine, I would say I enjoy it. But as I think about it, I think it's because of the fact that it reminds me of my best friend and the times that we had when I first got acquainted with it. And because I respect his taste and that kind of thing, then now it's become something that I drink. And I can't actually say that it's the my favorite taste in the world, but I actually like to drink it, interestingly. So, yeah, I believe really that there are a lot of subconscious motivations um, that we have no idea about that's happening. So that's one theory that is on point with Freud. So Freud came up with the idea that we are broken down into three parts, the id, the ego, and the superego. And so the id, as he described it, was a term called 
polymorphous okay I can't remember the next word I gotta go back and come back <laughs> so polymorphous perversity polymorphous perversity <laughs> say that three times fast which is the idea that all we want is the basic simple pleasures to eat sleep have sex but that was his first theory and then you have ego and superego so the second part of Freud's equation the ego was where he felt like consciousness uh, emerged like that was the beginning of consciousness in his equation and he felt that the that the ego was about satisfying your pleasures or suppressing them so the super ego for Freud was like the parent that looked behind you and you know when you did certain actions uh, they would tell you that those actions were wrong it was like your security guard <laughs> the funny thing is you know the teacher said that he didn't feel like this was like some brilliant philosopher you know it was just someone who kind of cried and wailed when you did something wrong <laughs> and he demonstrated i won't demonstrate it here but <laughs> and he uh freud felt like we were ultimately our egos we were the in-between you know and so there was the id it's almost like the the concept of the little uh the little devil and the angel that's on a person's shoulder like in a movie it was that you know the id was like your um, you know the side of you that in freud's philosophy would go for like just negative things or well it was really baseline things but like so many philosophies he kind of you know made that synonymous with negativity or what have you and then the super ego which was <laughs> the parent, you know, looking over you when you did something that was negative. So it's interesting. But to him, we were the ego. Freud thought that there were uh, five stages of personality development. And he felt that when you looked at different people, we got stuck in one of those five places in life. Um, so the first stage was the oral stage. And he believed that because of things like suckling and chewing and just desiring food, he felt like that was like pretty much the baby stage. And that if a person uh, was not breastfed, then that might show up later and turn them into a person that stays in that first stage. So he really looked at the oral stage as the most infantile and immature. So the second stage in Freud's theory was the anal stage. And he actually thought that if you weren't potty trained uh, properly or if that didn't go quite well, then you would be a very anal person. <laughs> um, really interesting. I mean, I guess I can understand how he's coming to these conclusions, but yeah, it's really interesting. Oral and then anal. He also equated this stage with things like being stingy and selfish and uh, reserved and to yourself and nitpicky and these kind of things <laughs> so he thought it was justified in telling someone hey you are an asshole so the third stage not surprisingly is the phallic stage <laughs> and with his other theory that we talked about earlier uh, Freud actually felt like this had to do with fixation or infatuation with the genitals but specifically the penis <laughs> and so he felt like the fixation would 
make uh, males more masculine and even put more um, masculinity within them that wasn't healthy and he felt in females it would make them dominating females okay so hold on to your hats this is a wild one <laughs> so freud had this concept called the oedipus concept which was based off of a story not sure if it was true or not of a king who killed his father to marry his mother wild but he felt like that kids went through a stage and because there are times when boys will say that they want to marry mommy, he felt <laughs> that their desire was all for all boys to marry their mom and that they had a secret desire to kill their dad. And But then they knew that the dad would castrate them so then they would fall out of love with mom and then their sexuality would be repressed until the genitals fades. Freud was on some shit. That damn cocaine, man. He came up with some good stuff, some good contributions, and some loud as hell contributions. Just say no, people. Just say no. Okay, so here's where Freud was starting to make a little bit of damn sense. So he came up with the concept of defense mechanisms, and uh, his idea was that the superconscious was constantly... Uh, giving you ideas to defend against your id or your lower conscious. And, you know, that's it's not too bad. He's still crazy as hell. But, it, you know, he's in the ballpark. <laughs> Defense mechanisms. Yep. Sublimation. The idea of taking negative energy and fueling it into positive energy. If you're upset at someone, you want to fight, you go paint, write a song, Go work out, go exercise. Makes a lot of sense. This is sublimation. Displacement is the idea of having negative energy and putting it somewhere else where it's still negative, but I guess it's still more acceptable to you consciously. Um, he gave the example of if you're upset at your father, but you go kick the dog because you feel like the dog is a target where it's much more justifiable to kick. Projection, the idea of taking something that you feel uh, that's negative and putting it on someone else and acting like they feel negative. That's an idea we can all identify with. But then here's the crazy of Freud again. <laughs> For some reason, he used that to explain homosexuality, um, believing that, yeah, I, I won't even try to explain it. <laughs> Freud's crazy as hell. Rationalization when you have something that is not good, but you come up with some way of explaining it to yourself or to others um, to make it sound good. You're rationalizing it. And last but not least, there's regression. Um, and interestingly, I talked about something earlier on Facebook that kind of fits this. So they say regression is when you retreat back to a younger version of yourself when you're under stress or you're not getting your way, you know, throwing tantrums, etc. Uh, but I put up a Facebook post and said, have you ever had an elder to suddenly turn into a helpless baby when they wanted to manipulate you to do something? Yeah, so regression. So Freud had a lot to say about religion. Uh, he felt that a large part of the idea of us seeking out a singular, all-powerful God was... Uh, related to us trying to fulfill the idea of having a father figure in our lives. 
uh, for those of us that didn't have it during our early development. Most of Freud's theories are very controversial. Um, and the main reason why is because something that we call uh, when things are unfalsifiable. And what that means, if you don't know it, is when a theory is so vague that it can't be proven to be correct or incorrect. So it lies in a place of being unfalsifiable. Um, to a large extent, this is something that I'm very familiar with because when it comes to uh, religious and many uh, spiritual ideas, especially when it comes to the idea of the supernatural or to God and these kind of things, these also fall under the place of being unfalsifiable, where many people believe them and have certain things that they feel are proof. Uh, but on the other side, it can't be proven wrong. It's unfalsifiable. It can't be proven wrong or, uh, you know, correct because of the fact that it's so vague that you can't actually process it that way. So in summary, the issue, the biggest issue with Freud's work um, is not that he's uh, not right. It's that he's not even wrong. <laughs> it's just vague. Paul Bloom also talked about how astrology falls in this place as well of uh, being unfalsifiable. <laughs> and it's interesting because I've thought about astrology in different ways. Um, I, I'm like 50-50 on it. I mean, there are some things that I can really attest to. A lot of times it's after the fact. I try to, I try to look at certain traits and that kind of thing that I have or experiences I have. And then if I'm relating to a chart or something like that, then it just confirms what I experience, which means that it doesn't matter whether it was true or not. My experience was my experience and whether I read it or not, it wouldn't matter. Um, but he said, you know, that the problem with uh, astrology is, is not that it's not right, it's that it can't be wrong. And when you think about horoscopes, a lot of times they're like that. And for all those that watched us, that know that horoscopes are just the, the bullshit of astrology, it's just the surface level. Like, you know, I, I definitely get that and I'm where I am there as well. But um, yeah, it's not that it's not right. It's just that none of it can be proven wrong. When you look at a lot of different things with astrology, depending on what you're reading, it'll be so vague that pretty much you can lump anybody into that category, you know? <clears throat> something amazing is going to happen to you today. You're a person that always has uh, a lot of thoughts going through your head and it's like, yeah. Interestingly, a deep follower of Freud sounds like a deep follower of like most religious and spiritual paths. I'm sorry, my, my cat wants to play. I mean, if you're going to play, you might as well say hi. You want to say hi? <laughs> Many times, Freudians, as the teacher called them, use circular reasoning really heavily in order to uh, prove their theories. And so he said some uh, people, oh my gosh, my cat just jumped for me like she was crazy. <laughs> so many people today are trying to work out the kinks in that uh, circular reasoning. And here's what circular reasoning is. Circular reasoning. Let's do this. Ace Ventura style. Mm -hmm.
Circular reason is when you attempt to make an argument by beginning with an assumption that what you are trying to prove is already true. In your premise, you already accept the truth of the claim you are attempting to make. It sounds complicated, but it's easily understood with some real-world examples. Circular reason may sound convincing, but consider who is most likely to be convinced by a circular argument. Those who already accept the argument as true are already more likely to be further convinced is because they already believe the assumption that it's stated. <laughs> And here are some examples. I really like the first one. The Bible is true, so you should not doubt the word of God. This argument rests on your prior acceptance of the Bible as truth. Circular reasoning. The Bible is the word of God. But how can you be sure it's the word of God? Because the Bible tells us so. But why believe the Bible? Because the Bible is infallible. Well, how do you know that it's infallible? Because the Bible is the word of God. But how can you be sure it's the word of God? The Bible tells us so. Well, how can you, why believe that the Bible is infallible? Well, how do you know? Because the Bible is the word of God. But how can you be sure it's the word of God? The Bible tells us so. Well, how can you, why believe it? Circular reasoning. Women should be able to choose to terminate a pregnancy. So abortion should be legal. This argument says abortion should be legal because women have the right to an abortion. I deserve to have a later curfew. So you should let me stay out until 10 p.m. This argument says the person should stay out till 10 p.m. because he or she deserves a later curfew. You have to invite Jenna to your party because it would not be nice not to invite Jenna. You have to save enough money to pay your bills each month because bills have to be paid. In schools, you'll find Freud studied more in the history department than the psychology department because again, his views uh, were kind of out there in some ways, but his largest contribution, which still remains intact, are his thoughts around the subconscious mind. He was onto some things. <laughs> so his contribution there is still valued and respected. But other than that, he's put in the, the history uh, section of schools. Here's a couple interesting findings from social psychology. If you're being initiated into a club, the more pain and rigor you have to go through, the more you like the club. So hazing is illegal, but a remarkably successful tool. The more you pay for something, the more you like it. The more pain you go through for something, the more you cling to it. These things are subconscious. Here's an example from politics. If you want people to be loyal to a political campaign, do not pay them. If you pay them, they will like you less. It's real interesting. If they volunteer, they'll like you more. There's an experiment in social psychology called Death Primes, and it's where they sit you in front of a computer screen and they ask you questions like, what do you think of Asians? What do you think of Blacks? How do you feel about these people politically, etc." And while that's happening, they're flashing these words in front of you on a computer screen, but they're flashing so fast that you can't really consciously see them. But they noticed from doing these experiments that people's answers would be affected by these words and they would flash words like corpse and death and just a bunch of words dealing with that subject. And they said people that have been exposed to this or go through this experiment become more nationalistic, um, less forgiving, you know, um, they're subconsciously affected by these things, uh, even though it's not something they're consciously aware of, but because they were exposed to things. And so, of course, this resonates with me deeply because I think about this all the time, which is why I don't watch TV as much. Um, I don't buy into the media and hype as much. I'm very careful because I understand subliminal messages. I understand, you know, even little things like red and yellow 
is used so heavily for our food, uh, our fast food restaurants. And the reason why is because those two colors really cater to you being hungry or you having a desire um, in that direction. And so I pay attention to those things, you know, uh, certain things where you don't know you're looking at it. It's right below the level of conscious um, because psychological operations is very real. <laughs> and the thing is, it's a it's such a thin line between doing something that is harmless and, you know, it's, it's neither here nor there. And when you know certain things manipulate people. And our marketing industry knows what makes us tick and what manipulates us. Uh, their argument a lot of times is just that, hey, we have choices or because of the subject, subjective nature of what they're pulling us to or the cheeseburger law, <laughs> which is the argument that even though you can be enticed by these things subliminally, um, you still have a choice. But that gets real sketchy because... Your choices are based on what you're exposed to. So anyway, we can go on about that. But I thought that that uh, death priming uh, experiment was really interesting. One other study is that if you ask people to write down three things that they like about a person and you ask people to write down 10 things, the people that write down 10 things are going to actually uh, in the end have a lower score for how much they like a person because they said that the more things you have to think about that you like about a person <laughs> and if you can't reach a certain number like in this case with 10 then it starts to have an effect on the person's mind that they might not like this person as much as they think they do and those that had to write down three score higher or they rank they rank the uh, people as far as how much they like them higher and so they said the interesting thing with this is that you don't realize that this is going on this is subconscious even if in the end, you really do like a person and you would fall in one of those groups. Um, you just change your perspective changes based on what you're exposed to. Even though in some ways Freud was batshit crazy, <laughs> he was a victim of his own success because his findings as far as the subconscious mind were so groundbreaking that we almost don't remember a time in history when we weren't aware of subconscious mind and then there was that other shit he was talking about that didn't help him so much either <laughs> along with the cocaine two other quick cool psych facts number one teachers never grade in red people don't like red and they take it more personally when you make a remark that's not favorable in red even if you're being nice so don't grade in red secondly when you're asking people if they have any questions instead of saying do you have any questions? Say, what are your questions? They find psychologically that that works with people better and allows them to open up and actually ask questions. When it comes to mental illness, Freud didn't believe in medications for mental illness. Uh, he believed in the talk therapy as well as the intuitive therapy. Um, he didn't believe because he, like many other people today, believed that medications didn't get down to the real source of what was going on mentally and only masked the problem. And I can definitely say I agree with that pretty heavily. Sigmund Freud, as described by Wikipedia, Sigmund Freud was born Sigismund Shlomo Freud. And Shlomo is spelled S-C-H-L-O-M-O. <laughs> Interesting. 
He was born on May 6, 1856, and he died September 23rd, 1939. He was an Austrian neurologist and founder of psychoanalysis, a clinical method for treating psychopathology through dialogue between a patient and a psychoanalyst. Freud was born to Jewish parents in the Moravian town of Friedberg in, Aust in the Austrian Empire. He qualified as a doctor of medicine in 1881 at the University of Vienna. Upon completing his habituation in 1885, he was appointed to a docent in neuropathology and became an affiliated professor in 1902. Freud lived and worked in Vienna, having set up his clinical practice there in 1886. In 1938, Freud left Austria to escape the Nazis. He died in exile in the United Kingdom in 1939. In founding psychoanalysis, Freud developed therapeutic techniques such as the use of free association and discovered transference, establishing its central role in the analytic process. Freud's redefinition of sexuality to include its infantile forms led him to formulate the Oedipus complex as the central tenet of psychoanalytical theory. His analysis of dreams as wish fulfillments provided him with models for the clinical analysis of symptom formation and the underlying mechanisms of repression. On this basis, Freud elaborated his theory of the unconscious and went on to develop a model of psychic structure comprising the id, ego, and superego. Freud postulated the existence of libido, a sexualized energy with which mental processes and structures are invested and which generates erotic attachments and a death drive, the source of compulsion, repetition, hate, aggression, and neurotic guilt. In his later works, Freud developed a wide-ranging interpretation and critique of religion and culture. Though in overall decline as a diagnostic and clinical practice, psychoanalysis remains influential with psychology, psychiatry, and psychotherapy and across the humanities. It thus continues to generate extensive and highly contested debate with regard to its therapeutic efficacy, its scientific status, and whether it advances or is detrimental to the feminist cause. Interesting. Nonetheless, Freud's work has suffused contemporary Western thought and popular culture. W.H. Auden's 1940 poetic tribute to Freud describes him as having created a whole climate of opinion under whom we conduct our different lives. Freud was also crazy as hell and out of his goddamn mind. I say that. <laughs> so join me in the next video when we talk about the work of B.F. Skinner. And look at the info in the description and the comment section to help me to make more of this kind of material. Or else. <laughs> Sigmund Floyd. Floyd, what the fuck? Floyd was on. Freud was on some shit. <laughs>